Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. There was a legal document that required that the head of the company be a direct male heir of the founder. Welcome to episode 58 of The Great Fail, a podcast that examines the greatest success stories and their spectacular fails. What led to the demise of the most prolific people, brands, and companies. I'm your host, Deborah Chen, and this week we'll be looking at the quintessential and influential bike of the past, the iconic Schwinn bicycles. In 1992, Schwinn filed for bankruptcy, marking the solemn conclusion of the storied legacy in the realm of classic Americana. This moment signaled the end of an era for a brand that had become synonymous with timeless bicycle craftsmanship and cultural significance. Saddled with an overwhelming debt of approximately $75 million, Schwinn's financial woes became insurmountable leading them down a heartbreaking path towards dissolution. The demise of Schwinn, a brand deeply woven into the fabric of American history, brought with it a devastating toll, leaving a trail of shattered dreams and tearful farewells. Welcome to the story of Schwinn Bicycles. Joyriding from 1895 all the way till 1992 when the wheels came off. I remember my first bike when I came to the United States. I was seven years old and my parents finally caved after seeing so many of the neighborhood friends riding around our block after school. For my birthday, they got me a red BMX and it was solid. I'm pretty sure it was a boy's bike that they got on sale, but I didn't care. I had finally gotten my ride and was able to keep up with all the other kids. Back then, we couldn't go far except around the block, but it gave me an ineffable sense of liberation and independence that I can still remember to this day. By the late 80s, the Schwinn had already lost its allure, at least with the kids that I was hanging with. But looking back on it now, I can see why this was the quintessential all-American bike. Its timeless design still stands even to this day. 
the larger frames, the distinctively curved handlebars presenting itself as an iconic image of cruising the neighborhood streets. And a major reason I wanted to cover the Schwinn bicycle era was because I've been fascinated with the evolution of the bike culture. This culture, spanning several decades, has undergone remarkable transformation, beginning with the bike boom in the 1970s, a time when cycling captured the imagination of the masses and became a symbol of freedom and escape from the confines of urban life. Then to the shift from kids to adult riders where we saw the emergence of the mountain bike era. Fast forward to the present day of e-bikes. These electric assisted vehicles have further revolutionized the cycling experience for all ages. Some have even suggested that the rise of e-bikes heralds a transformative shift, potentially signaling the twilight of the traditional bicycle era. Whether or not that's true, this is an homage to one of the longest standing bicycle companies, the influential, innovative brand that was once called Schwinn Bicycles. In 1895, driven by the pursuit of his American dream, Ignaz Schwinn, an ambitious immigrant from Germany, partnered with another fellow German-American by the name of Adolf Arnold, who was a meatpacker at the time. Together, they co-founded a bicycle manufacturing factory in Chicago. Bicycling during that period was a relatively new sport, but the timing would prove to be fortuitous for Schwinn and Arnold, who found themselves in the right place at the right time, amidst a biking craze. Quickly, manufacturers turned Chicago into the center of the American bicycle industry. What they couldn't know at the time was that this partnership would shape the future of cycling. Schwinn's successes began with the World Roadster, a big hit released in just their first year. They continued growing steadily during the first decade, moving from rented facilities in the downtown Chicago area, which had been home to about 90 other bicycle companies. But Schwinn remained diligent about its operations and eventually relocated to a bigger building that would serve as the corporate headquarters and production house. During this time, the bicycle industry was really fragmented and there were so many manufacturers working at smaller scales. And so there was an undergoing of roll-ups where companies acquired each other to grow bigger and remain competitive. Schwinn was no different. Their first acquisition was in 1899 and the company acquired one of its main competitors and continued with a series of other takeovers. And for the next few decades, the business stayed in the family, passing hands exclusively to those in the Schwinn bloodline. But the family didn't simply rest on their laurels. In fact, during those early years, Schwinns were known to be innovators, implementing some game-changing features that endure to this day, including their pioneering use of balloon tires to the introduction of coaster brakes, four-wheel expander brakes, and handlebar-mounted gear changers. And this legacy of expertise and innovation gave them the opportunity to break all the rules. And that's what they did with the Stingray. The Stingray originated from the hip street culture of California, shattering the confines of the conventional bike design. Unveiled in 1963, it stood as a mesmerizing work of art, boasting a banana seat, 
towering handlebars and oversized tires that commanded attention. In the vibrant backdrop of the 60s and 70s, it became the ultimate symbol of middle-class aspirations, a coveted badge of social status. Here's Jay Townley, who worked at Schwinn for 24 years, starting first in retail and then later working as the VP of marketing. Schwinn was the brand that people wanted. Schwinn was the brand that people aspired to. And Schwinn was also the innovator in the business. So we had, for instance, the Stingray is a bike people remember. That was a Schwinn invention that changed the nature of the bicycle market. Bikes prior to that had been balloon-tired, which are coming back today, but a balloon-tired bike, a heavy bike with a spring fork or a suspension fork, tanks, horns, lights. And what evolved out of the Stingray was a 20-inch wheel fast sporty bike with a high-rise bar and a, and a uh, saddle to boot that got the attention of kids. So it was going back and, and developing a stronger kids attachment to the market. It wasn't just the craftsmanship. It was marketing ingenuity that allowed the Schwins to propel their status. You see, the family cultivated a small network of dealerships and selectively put their bikes in these stores that were run by people who knew bikes and were eager to promote them. People like Jay Townley. These bike shops became, in a way, stewards of the Schwinn brand. Style, quality, durability. These bikes offered a class unlike any other. It was status. It was also quality. Absolute quality. The Schwinn bicycle had a lifetime warranty. So, and it was the only bike in the market that had a lifetime warranty. Schwinn stood behind it. And then when you looked at, at what made Schwinn different, it was everything. We had a better quality rim that went into making the wheel. We had a better quality hub. We had a better quality front fork. And it went on and on. A better quality frame. And we warrantied that bicycle for the lifetime of the bike. The lifetime that the original owner had the bike, but it was the reality was it, was it was warrantied for life. Nobody else had that. And so Frank Schwinn, who I worked for, a third generation owner, his father, his grandfather, stood behind their products in a way that nobody else in the business did. So it was not only look and appearance and aesthetics and innovation, it was the fact that they stood behind it and told the American consumer, your Schwinn bike is warrantied for life. And for a while, it seemed that the Schwinn company pedaled along, blissfully unaware of the bumpy road ahead. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. For almost a century, the Schwins did right in many ways. Schwinn was a dominant factor pre-World War II was the dominant factor from 1946 forward, and then took a giant leap with Total Store in 68, when we got the whole package out and pulled together, and we were moving forward putting stores in, all the way up to the end of the bike boom in 1975. By the tail end of the bike boom, we saw the era introducing some new trends, and Schwinn hitting a few potholes along the way. What occurred in 75 at the end of the bike boom was there was import competition at that point and a shift in market demand to lightweight lug frame bicycles. And so Schwinn was a dominant factor all the way through the bike boom. In fact, uh, during the bike boom in the time the peak year 1974, we made a million bicycles in Chicago and we imported a quarter of a million bicycles from Japan, lug frame lightweight bicycles. So. That was the peak for the for the Schwinn Bicycle Company, and then the market changed. Competition came in the form of European racing bikes and also the Japanese imports that were making their mark for their sleek design, advanced technology, and competitive pricing. I was familiar with imported bikes because we sold them when I worked in the bike shop. The bikes we sold were from Europe. The Japanese imports were a relatively new feature during the bike boom, the period 71 forward. It was Schwinn when we went to Japan, and Al Fritz was the, the individual, the vice president of engineering at the time, that went and developed these bikes. They were Schwinn-approved lightweight bicycles. And so it was us. I mean, we were very much a part of bringing lug frame, lightweight lug frame bicycles, 10-speed, 12-speed bikes into the market. And what we were competing against at that point, and the best way to describe it, would be a Raleigh lightweight from England. They were European bikes, Peugeots from France. It wasn't only external factors that posed a challenge. Operationally, Schwinn was struggling. Once the innovator, the company had failed to switch gears and was beginning to trail behind the changing industry. Wait for me. What led to this particular decline was A, to begin with, the reluctance of the management to do what had to be done to trim back the operational side of the business. Maybe their status as an iconic brand allowed them to believe that they were timeless, never needing to adapt for what consumers really wanted. They failed to evolve. In particular, they made two really poor decisions. One was when BMX became big. Schwinn bore witness to this pivotal moment when the younger generation enthusiastically embraced the BMX culture, a new era of daring tricks, high-flying jumps, and thrilling off-road adventures captured the hearts of kids everywhere. 
the company saw it as dangerous. But the true mistake was in seeing it as a fad that would go away. But it never did. While BMX gripped youth culture, Schwinn maintained its focus on traditional bikes, perhaps underestimating the lasting impact and potential profitability of the BMX movement. This decision, whether intentional or just miscalculated, shaped the trajectory of Schwinn's future, marking a notable divergence from the changing currents of youth-driven cycling culture. The other time Schwinn found itself on the wrong side of the equation was when mountain bikes started to pick up in popularity. The appetite for off-road adventures and rugged terrain exploration exploded. But like with BMX, Schwinn executives also thought this would be a short-lived fad, never imagining that adults would spend so much for high-performance bikes. They also didn't upgrade any of their equipment while these changes were happening within the industry. But by the time Schwinn began making enhancements to their factory, it was already too late in the game. And to make matters worse, they chose to relocate their new factory to Greenville, Mississippi, which turned out to be a terrible decision. It was too far from the Western ports where all their manufacturing materials were coming in from Asia, and their nearest railroad station was 60 miles away, a logistical nightmare and hard to understand. Schwinn's downfall unfolded amidst a series of missteps and tumultuous undertakings, including a lamentable blend of stubbornness and lack of foresight. The rigid and myopic management style was the manifestation of ego, unlike many we've seen, showing a very delayed response and delayed ability to adapt. Even in their family doctrine, which included a clause that prevented any women from ever managing the family business. There were several things that happened at that particular point, you know, along the storyline that, that you're aware of here. Frank V. Schwinn, who was the family head of the company, had a heart attack. This is after 1975, between 75 and 80. The fourth generation then stepped in, Edward R. Schwinn Jr. And his father had passed away of leukemia some years before, but he was the heir. And the Schwinn company was operating under a trust. I believe it was the trust of 1929. But there was a legal document that legally required that the head of the company be a direct male heir of the founder. For a while, Schwinn capitalized on the globalization of the industry, but ultimately found themselves at a crossroads. They witnessed the remarkable quality and cost-effectiveness of bikes produced in Taiwan and China, far surpassing what they could achieve domestically. And so Schwinn made the decision to transition from manufacturing to importing, sourcing entire bikes, and affixing the cherished Schwinn label onto them. While the shift allowed for competitive pricing and wider product availability, it marked a profound shift in the essence of Schwinn. No longer the architects of their bicycles, they became mere marketers of products bearing their name. This transformation proved to be a turning point and ultimately altered the course of Schwinn's identity, perhaps contributing to their eventual demise. 
as the embodiment of true bicycle craftsmanship and ingenuity. In hindsight, those that were close to the story recall that it was during the 1980s when Schwinn began to slide from its position as the crown jewel in the market, a result of poor decisions stemming from poor management. Researchers and those close to the family have speculated and commented about just how incompetently the business was run in the end. One wrote that the family bloodline seemed to thin audibly from generation to generation. By the time the fourth generation of Schwins were running the business, they had already made several mistakes, moving the production overseas into other countries, losing control of its brand, and not delivering their inventory on time. All the factors that once made them reliable and dependable, now in the hands of other people. Competitors like Huffy Bicycles and Murray Inc. began laying claim to the precious floor space that Schwinn had once occupied. It was a misplaced bravado in their management approach that ultimately became their Achilles heel. Up until the very end, in a notorious interview with Business Week, when asked who their competition was, their executive replied, We don't have competition. We're Schwinn. Special thanks to Jay Townley for his contributions to this episode and sharing his walk down memory lane on the rise and fall of Schwinn bicycles. And thank you for tuning in this week to The Great Fail, a program that spotlights some of the most infamous case studies of failed businesses, brands, and ideas, and goes beyond that to garner lessons and wisdom so that we all can learn from the greatest mistakes. The Great Fail is part of the Adweek Podcast Network and ACAST Creator Network. You can listen and subscribe to all of Adweek's podcasts by visiting adweek.com slash podcast. The research on each episode is extensive, but none of these episodes would be possible without the tireless efforts of researchers, writers, and reporters. They are all credited on thegreatfail.com under our show notes. Connect with us at The Great Fail on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast so that we can continue bringing you more episodes. And remember, with great failure comes great liability. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com.